0: Following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. So today marks the end of our verse by verse journey through the book of Galatians, and I would say maybe. more than normal. I'm, I'm a bit bummed out that we've reached the end. Uh, I have always enjoyed and appreciated this book, but it, it has proved even more, more bountiful and, and beautiful than I realized as we've walked through it together over these last few months. And uh, I, I know some of you feel the same way. Many of you have expressed similar sentiments, that you've been blessed by this study uh, but also, along the way, you've felt bruised at times <laughs> by this study, and uh, I, want, I agree with you. I think it has—it's pressed upon us like like the hands of a skilled potter put pressure on clay to form it and sculpt it. Um, and that's—we should expect that because the Bible, studied and understood and applied rightly, it'll do that. It'll bless us and it'll bruise us. And all of that is good for us. Amen. Uh, So today we're going to read, basically this is the summary paragraph. This is the final words that cap off this ferocious defense of the pure gospel and, and the true freedom that it alone can provide. All right? So that's what we're getting into. We're in Galatians 6. I hope I said that to you if I didn't. Uh, Hurry up and get there. Galatians 6, and we're uh, going to be reading verses 11 through 18. If you don't have something to follow along with you, we will have the verses on the screens, okay? Oh, and if you don't own a Bible, let us know, because we have lots to give away for free, and we really like to do that. So see us after the gathering if you need a Bible, okay? Amen. Galatians 6, uh, 11 through 18. Here we go. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh, try to compel you to be circumcised, simply that they will not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For those who are circumcised do not even keep the law themselves, but they desire to have you circumcised so that they may boast in your flesh. But may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither is circumcision anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And those who will walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause trouble for me, for I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Be with your spirit, brethren. Amen. Praise God for his word. That's the end of Galatians. Uh, so let's come back to verse eleven and we'll we'll work through this together. All right. So verse eleven, we he says, "See with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand." Now, many, uh, if not most, commentators that I read, they think this marks a pivot point in in the writing of this letter. Okay, and, and maybe in multiple ways, but in a, in a practical way, it's it was very common for somebody like Paul, to be writing this letter, but to be dictating it to a scribe. So he's orally saying all of this and then a scribe would be writing it down. It doesn't say it explicitly here, but, but most people think this marks a spot where Paul said, give me the pen, okay? And he, said, and he says, I'm gonna see with what large letters I am writing. Now, there's also some conjecture and debate about what that even means. I think the, the most natural way to read it in, in the flow of how things are going is that at least what he's saying is, all right, pay attention. I'm writing big, right? Basically, Paul is all caps from here on out, okay? Just think about it like that. Um, but, but what he's saying is, is worthy of it, right? Because have you ever seen somebody that writes an entire paragraph in all caps and, and you, you like feel anxious because it's, it's like they're shouting it the whole time? And, and a lot of times it's like, but, but this isn't shout worthy, right? Um, I, now, I don't have anybody in mind here, so don't feel called out, but there's some folks that think what they're saying is more important than it really is, and it deserves all caps, and uh, that's not always the case. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll see people in our, like, we have, a, like, there's like a neighborhood Facebook group, so there's like one for Norwood, and there's one for North Norwood, and it gets very specific, but you guys know what I'm talking about? You guys know what a Facebook neighborhood group is? You guys got those? Okay, i make sure I'm not way out here by myself. And there'll be people, man, on those things, I'm talking about, they're, they're just screaming into the void of the internet, right? In all caps and exclamation points, like, did anyone hear that noise? And it's like, hold on, man, it's okay, chill out, right? Like, I saw some litter on my street! It's like, why are you yelling? It's, it's all right, go out and pick it up, okay? And let's relax. But Paul is justified in, in, in locking the cap locks key here, okay? Uh. <clears throat> Just, and this is off base a little bit, but if, if you're on Facebook anyways, I know some of you aren't and that's fine for various reasons, but if you are, man, check and see if there's a neighborhood group for where you live and like join that thing. And it's just a great way to kind of get to know what's going on in your neighborhood. And why are you saying that? Well, because we're really supposed to be missionaries to the places where we live, right? And so it's a good way to kind of know what's going on and maybe even connect with some folks that, that are right around you, okay? Amen. A little practical something there that we got by accident. Now, um, some think Paul is writing with big letters because they see evidence elsewhere that maybe he had some sort of eye condition, all right? So there's, there's a fair amount of commentators that think Paul had something going on with his eyes, and so he had, not only was he emphasizing what he's about to say, but also he probably needed to write big in order to, to actually write it and read it himself. There are some that even think that that uh, could be the thorn in the flesh that he mentions in 2 Corinthians twelve and um, i 'm mentioning that, I just want you to know it 's all of that 's conjecture, but it is interesting to think about maybe it 's something you can add to the list of discussion topics if you get it on paul 's schedule in eternity right like things to talk he 's on my list of people i 'd like to chat with when I get the opportunity, so maybe you could ask him about that <clears throat> uh, and, and <clears throat> I was thinking about that and I'm even way out further on a limb here. So take this with like the biggest grain of salt you possibly could. But I was thinking, man, you know, there's, there's some indicators that maybe there was an eye problem. I'm thinking, well, what, what's the deal with that? And of course, you know, people were using oil lamps and there was eye problems were common. But then I'm wondering, man, I wonder if, that, if there's an eye issue. Is that, is that a leftover from when he got flash burned on the road to Damascus, man? When Jesus said, Ah, sit down, right? Now, of course, the Bible says it, this, those scales that had formed fell off of his eyes I'm just, I'm just wondering, man I'm just thinking I'm, I'm going to ask Paul about it you don't have to care about it I'm just, I'm just letting you into what I daydream about. So there you go. Bible nerd stuff. don't worry about it if you don't care. Uh, but you know, I, I do kind of bring that up because like some of you might be tempted to think that I'm out of bounds um, even even asking that question, right, even in my musing uh, because Some of you have heard or maybe been taught that the Lord would never do something like that, because it's always his will to heal everybody, and that he would never lay upon someone uh, the weight of a physical condition of any kind. That's a unfortunately fairly common teaching, and and maybe some of you have encountered that. Maybe you've even believed that. Um, And that's problematic because regardless of what Paul's thorn in the flesh was, he had one, he said it clearly in his letter to the Corinthians, and he gave the reason, for whatever the thorn was, it maybe it wasn't the eye thing, maybe it was something else, but he did, he laid out what the reason for that thorn in the flesh was. You want to hear what that was? Here's his reason. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, right? So what's he saying? God did some pretty amazing things with Paul, sending him as the, the apostle to the Gentiles, right? Like, this guy's responsible for roughly two-thirds of the New Testament, Um, he's responsible for laying out a lot of what we understand about some of the inner workings, intricacies, and beauty of the gospel, right? These are the greater revelations that he's talking about. So because of that, for that reason, because God's going to use him in that way, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh. That was the reason. Now, and if if you're a student of scripture and, and you're familiar with this passage, you know that he goes on to say, I asked the Lord three times to take it from me. And what was his answer? My grace is sufficient for you. Hmm, okay. And <clears throat> I know that I'm off in the weeds a bit on this verse, but wherever I get a chance to, to stick a stick in the spokes of false teaching about how if you know, we aren't healed of every ailment or struggle, it means we have a lack of faith, I'll take it. You know what I mean by sticking sticks in the spokes? You ever seen a mean kid? Were you the mean kid? Someone riding their bike and you run out from behind a bush and stick a stick in their spokes. What happens? Over the handlebars. That's what I want to do to that false teaching. Every chance I get. Because it's problematic. It hurts people. And it leads people away from God. It leads people to condemnation that's, that's wrong. Um, to <clears throat> uh, being, being despondent, man. It's, it's, <clears throat> it's not the truth, flat out. It's, it hurts people. So... I'm not a fan, uh, <clears throat> and, and I'm, I'm saying, I'm granting that I'm off in the woods, but I'm not that far off because when when damnable doctrines that teach people that victory in Christ means health and wealth and all of our dreams coming true, uh, when that's, when that sinks in, when that gets a hold of people, it makes it nearly impossible to understand the next verse we're about to read properly, and, and it makes it hard to understand many other verses like it throughout the New Testament. So let's look at this. Why am I saying that? That was verse 11, verse 12. Those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised simply so that they will not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Persecuted for the cross of Christ. Now, the first issue I want to address before I get into that second half at length is that What he's saying here is that the Judaizers, and if you're maybe just jumping into Galatians with us, let me give you the super quick Cliff Notes version. So, this this entire letter is is the the momentum behind it is the fact that Paul came to the Galatian region, planted churches, preached the true gospel, people received it, and then he went on and continued doing missionary stuff. And then a group came behind him known as the Judaizers. These were uh, people of Hebrew descent who had begun to at least become uh, friendly towards the Christian message. Uh, and they, but here's the difference. Paul came and taught that we're, we are saved. We have relationship and righteousness with God by grace through faith in Christ. That's it. These guys came along and said, oh yeah, that's really good. We like that too. But you also need adherence to the law, at least certain parts. And one of the things they were very hung up on was circumcision, which was the sign that someone was a participant in the, the covenant and the law of Moses, okay? So that's, that's the backdrop. That's what he's talking about, if you weren't aware. And, and that, that idea of, of circumcision, it's all through Galatians, and, and what it really represents is legalism in all its forms. This was the issue of that day, and because it's not a hot-button issue for us today, you might be like, oh, this is so irrelevant. Nobody's arguing about circumcision today. I get it. You're right. But uh, we are still struggling with the tendency of the human heart towards legalism. Absolutely we are. We always will until Jesus comes and finally fixes this thing. We end up in the glory we were singing about earlier, okay? That's going to be a battle. That's part of why so much of the New Testament is warning us against it, helping us to avoid it, okay? It'll hurt us. All right, so uh, the issue here is that they were trying to compel them. There's, there's no problem with a Gentile or anybody else being circumcised for any reason, except for the reason That they were telling them to because they were saying this is required for relationship with god and anytime anybody says anything is required for relationship with god aside from faith in christ red flags should be going off alarm bells got to be going off okay and that's what was happening here um now why would this help them avoid persecution that may be unclear um why would be people be persecuted for the cross of christ at all well First of all, let's think about the dynamic where they are. Okay, so they're still within that region. There's there's a power structure that, that is the kind of original uh, Jewish remnant, right? So they've 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 already kind of gotten agreement with the Romans. The the Jewish faith is kind of an approved. You know, there's tension, but they're gonna they let the Jews kind of do their thing. The Romans, who are in charge at this point, and the, and so they then they're you know kind of oftentimes in bed with the Romans in different ways, just, you know, let's figure out how we can control some stuff, but, you know, try to keep some separation. But, you know, it's, it's, all, this, it's all this kind of gross, just power structure stuff that was going on. And, and so you got, but if you're someone that comes along and says, oh, hey, um, <clears throat> all, of, all of kind of the, the, the moral superiority and moral supremacy that the, that the Pharisees and the others that are in that, system are relying on in order to kind of be in control, yet actually none of that's important anymore. We just need to trust in Jesus and rely upon his grace. You can see how that would be problematic for someone that made their their entire existence, their identity, their station in life is based upon people adhering to these rules and them telling them how to adhere to the rules. Right? So someone comes along and says, actually, the rules aren't the way we get to God. That's, somebody's going to want to, do something about it. And the Romans also were kind of not sure at this point about this weird Christian cult thing that had started <laughs> as, as they saw it, right? So there's persecution possibly coming from two different angles. How do you get out of that? Well, if we can somehow kind of integrate and soften the edges of that gospel message, so we're not saying that all of this stuff is irrelevant, but you know, maybe we can just glue it together a little bit, come up with a hybrid that everyone can be happy, they can avoid persecution and maintain their power. That's what we're talking about, okay? <clears throat> now, that's, that's the particulars of that, but, but let's, let's pan out a little more broadly. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says this, for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the understanding of those who have understanding I will confound. And if you remember a couple weeks ago in Galatians 5, Paul called the cross a stumbling block. Hmm. Why? Well, here's why. Here's why if somebody's going to, to genuinely embrace the teaching of the cross of Christ and go so far, be so audacious as to then try to share that with others, the teaching of the cross confronts and confounds every person who truly understands its message. Everybody. Many people are offended at the idea. It's offensive. The Bible says that. It's a stumbling block. Why? Well, for multiple reasons. It's going to get everybody somehow. You might think, oh, no, I, not me. Hold on. Let me, let me hem me you in real quick. I got you. Just give me a second. <clears throat> Many people are offended at the idea just right off the bat of substitutionary atonement altogether, right? Some people are offended by the very idea that Jesus had to die. The very idea that, that death was required in order for there to be the possibility of life. The very idea that God would let his son, and some would say, force his son to go to the cross to pay for the sins of the world. What? What is all that about? What is all the blood about? What is what is this wrath of God stuff? If God's so good and so loving, why can't He just forgive everybody, right? Anybody ever heard someone, and maybe you have thought that, right? Like I, I hear about this loving God, I hear about this good God. Why why is the cross necessary to, to solve the problem of sin? If God's this powerful and this good, can He just kind of magic wand this thing, right? Problem solved. Well. Here's the issue. God is good and God is loving, immeasurably, indescribably good and loving, but he's also indescribably holy and just, immeasurably holy and just. He's all these things. And that means the issue of sin has to be dealt with. That means, let me, let me just lay it out like this, and all analogies break down, but let's, let's say you've got a judge, you know, gets, gets elected to sit on the bench and then basically all of a sudden he just decides, you know what? The laws don't matter. And so now everybody that comes before him is just like, ah, no, it's okay, let him go. What kind of judge would that be? That judge would not be administering justice, but that's what we want God to do. Oh, just don't, don't even worry about the bad stuff. And part of how we get there is because we don't grapple with the reality of how heinous sin really is, of how big of an issue our rebellion against a God that good really is. We, we, would, we would like it to all just kind of go away, but a perfectly just, holy, loving, and good God can't just, ah, that's okay. There, there does need to be punishment. There absolutely should be wrath coming from God towards sin and its effects upon a world that he loves. I, I don't want an indifferent God It just doesn't care about all of the ravaging effects of sin in the world. I hope you don't either. The issue is, how does he deal with it? And what we see in the cross of Christ, friends, that that is hard for people to grasp, and it's something you gotta chew on it a while before it it tends to kind of gel and, and, and be able to be understood, is what you see at the cross is the only place in all the universe where justice, perfect, holy justice, and incredible mercy can embrace at the same time. Because the due wrath of God against sin is satisfied. While at the same time, mercy is poured out upon the very ones that caused the need for it. The very ones that made the infraction. It's justice and mercy. Normally, normally in, in our thinking categories, you can have one or the other. You can have justice or mercy. Is that right or wrong? You go before a judge, you've got two choices. They can give you justice, which is what you deserve according to the law. Or they can give you mercy, which is, we're going to let you off with less than what you deserve according to the law. We can't do both, which is why it's hard for us to understand the depth, the beauty, the mystery of all that God is doing at the cross. It's why it's offensive, because it confounds our wisdom. We're coming to the thing going, what do you mean? You get justice or mercy. How do you have both? You have both when the God of the universe is willing to take on flesh and to step in and take the punishment in our place for our sins, justice is done and mercy is given. And it's all happening in one place. It's at the cross of Christ, friends. And often because of a lack of understanding when it comes to God's Trinitarian nature, some will call the cross divine child abuse. I've heard that accusation leveled at God before. But when you really understand the fact that in the beginning was the word, the word was with God and the word was God, in verse 14 of John 1, the word became flesh. Yes, Jesus and God the Father are distinct persons, but they are also one. Christ coming is God coming. This is not God the Father holding God the Son into some, into some torture that, that, that he's not willing to be a part of, right? Yes, Jesus did pray in the garden, Lord, if this cup can pass for me, Father, if this cup can pass for me, is there any other way, Lord? Are we sure, right? Because. He had taken on flesh. There was the reality of this upcoming struggle weighing upon him. But at the same time, he ended with not, not my will, but your will be done. And really, it was their will. It was a will that had been, this, this plan of how to redeem us, it, it, it was established before the foundations of the world. You, you want to you you melt your brain and have it fall out your ears? Think about this. <laughs> before God ever made mankind, the plan for redemption was laid out. God, the alpha, the omega, the beginning, the end is not bound by time like we are. And so before God ever made us, he knew all the trouble we were going to cause and already had the plan in place for how to save us. And here's what, here, this is part of why, you, this is, when someone, I, have to shru, I struggle sometimes to remember I've been thinking about this a long time, and so dots connect. But when someone tries to assault the idea that God is good, man, that's hard for me because I'm thinking, if I was God and I'm not bound by time, and I'm, you know, I'm looking forward it's like, okay, yep, create humanity, and then they're gonna do this. Like all of this middle part that we're living in, right? From Adam to the consummation of, of all things in Christ, right? All this nasty middle part where we are just mucking things up, right? If I'm God, I'm looking at that and going, you know what, the angels are cool. We're just gonna stick with them. You know what I mean? Like forget humanity. We're not even doing that. But in his great love for us, man, in his desire to have that end goal of us and him forever, he has put himself through all of this. You think sin and the brokenness of the world bothers our hearts? You think you're bothered by how broke this world is? Man, God is aware of absolutely every single thing that sin has broke. And Christ came to fix it all. Paid the price necessary for that to happen. Amen. Amen. And this is part of what separates Christianity from other religions where blood sacrifices are made. Oftentimes people will throw that, oh, Christianity is just a blood cult like the others. Friends, our God is the only one who took on flesh so his blood could atone for the sins of the world. This is not like other religions where there was blood sacrifices. Other religions where there was blood sacrifices was you throw yourself in the, in the thing or you throw your kid in the thing. That's, that's how you're going to appease this bloodthirsty God. That's not what's happening here. God said, I'm going to do it. I'll pay the price. I'll put myself on the line to save you and to show you how much I love you. That's, that's a different deal, man. I'm not saying you have to believe that. Maybe you don't yet. And that's okay. We can keep talking about it. But, but don't, just please don't be duped by those that would just take Christianity and junk drawer it in sloppily with other things like that. Because we're not telling the same story here. This is not Molech, this is not Baal, this is not the ancient Greek gods that wanted you know, virgins thrown in, in volcanoes or whatever the stereotypes are. You understand what I'm saying? That's, we're, not, we're not telling the same story here. We're telling a story where God goes to, does a miracle and takes on flesh, is born of a virgin, so that that flesh can be torn asunder in order to save his people. It's not the same story. It's not the same story as this such and such God you know, you got to sacrifice a bunch of kids each year to get them to give you a good crop or not destroy you. Right? This is not the same story. So just don't, don't get duped by that, all right? Please. This, this is more, <laughs> it's much more nuanced than, than that. Um, <clears throat> and it's so, this whole idea is so counterintuitive that it confounds the wise. And this is why the Bible teaches that it is by the miraculous power of God that our hearts and minds are even able to be open to receive his grace. This isn't something, that's, that's why I read you earlier, it says that the gospel, right, it's, it's foolishness to the unbelieving. It, it's confounding to our standard way of being able to conceptualize how things work in the world. It's supernatural. It, it breaks all of our paradigms. And that's part of why I believe it. It's so wild, man. Who, who, what human could have made this up, man? It's wild, and it's true, and it's beautiful. Amen. Uh, And and it's it's not, so that's not the only offense point. You thought I was done. I'm not, it's not just the seeming brutality of the cross, but it's also the exclusivity it represents that offends some, because here's the deal. There is one way to right standing with God. There is one way to be saved. There's one way to be called righteous. It's a narrow doorway and there is no other. And it is by acknowledging that our sin is so heinous that Christ's sacrifice was needed and trusting that by it we can be redeemed. The cross represents exclusivity. The cross represents the idea that there is one way to God and that is highly offensive to many people. There are many people that the simple idea that we would have the audacity to say what Jesus said, right? And that's part of the problem with, there's a lot of people who's like, I like Jesus. I like the Sermon on the Mount. Um, I like the idea of Jesus with lambs and kids and stuff, but you, you can't take that part of Jesus and throw away the fact that he said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And no one's coming to the Father except through me. You don't get the precious moments, happy parts of Jesus that you like and, and, and throw away the rest. This isn't a buffet. Okay? Amen. So either you're going you're, you're gonna to receive the wildness of who Jesus is and who he claims to be or you're going to reject him. You don't get to stand in some comfy middle place because there's, there's not a lot of crowds where you can run around and say, oh, Jesus is terrible. I hate Jesus. Like even, even today in our current climate, a lot of people be like, ooh, that's gross that you're saying that, right? But but a lot of times, and this is what I'm talking about, man, the the true gospel, if you really interact with it, if you really think through it, it it is offensive on multiple levels. And a lot of times if someone hasn't been offended by it, they just haven't thought about it enough yet. They haven't really been encountered with actually what the cross is teaching, what Jesus is saying, right? So some are some are uh, offended by the exclusivity that we would be so audacious as to say, that we'd have the audacity to say, there's one way. Some people just can't handle it. What, you know, that's, that goes against pluralism. And then what about if people genuinely believe something else? And how do, how do we, look, man, all we can do is go with what Jesus said on it. There's one way to God. There's one way to stand righteous before God. There's one way to be forgiven of the sin we all know that we have. It's by trusting in the grace of Christ. But it's not just the exclusivity, but it's also the inclusivity of the cross that offends some. You might say, what does that mean? So, Some are offended that the cross is the only way to be saved. Some people are offended by that. So you got some people offended by the whole idea of substitutionary atonement at all. You got some people offended by the idea that we would say it is the only way to be saved. But some are offended that the cross means they are no better off than the people they see is worse than them. The cross is exclusive in this way. You're only coming to God through Jesus, but it's inclusive in this way. Y'all need to come this way, (laughs) right? There's only one way and you need it. Who? Me? Yes, you. Well, like you mean I need Jesus the same as somebody that I detest because I think their sins are way worse than mine? Like, are, is that, are, Am I hearing that right? Yes, you're hearing that right. We're going to come to the same place and we're going to walk through the same door and we all need to. And, and this, I don't know, man, I've, encountered, I've had conversations with people where I say, well, hold on, man, you've got to think about this. When it comes to this, when it comes to salvation and righteousness, when it comes to right standing before God, you're standing in the same place as some of these people that you, you really the test and think that they're way worse than you, man. And I've had people like, how dare you suggest that I'm in any way the same as them? Well, I don't know, because I, I was reading in here and saw that. So I don't know. <laughs> I thought that's what we were working off of. So, I, okay, I could be wrong. Um, <clears throat> so what am I saying? What I'm saying is the only way to avoid the offense of the cross is to avoid it altogether. Because it is confrontation. It's an assault to the wisdom of this world and the pride that resides in every human heart. The the truth of the gospel, friends, it's like the sweetest thing you've ever tasted, but it's coated in the most bitter thing you've ever tasted. And you're only getting to the sweet by biting through the bitter. That's what we see being talked about when Paul says the cross is a stumbling block. We see here this idea that the way the judaizers tried to avoid you know that homer simpson meme where he's going back into the bush the way they tried to get away from the cross was like yeah yeah, yeah all that's good but you also you also need circumcision and some of this law stuff we're not going way out here on this wild idea that there's only one way to be right with god that's through trusting and believing in christ we're not going to go we're not going to that far that's good jesus said good stuff we like him but that part you know we're going to add something to it to make this a little more palatable to our senses, right? To our sense of, of wisdom and how the world works. So somebody help me preach this. What's, what's the sweetest thing you've ever tasted? Go ahead and shout it out. Give me an, ex- I don't have an example. Give me one. Sweetest thing ever. What? McDonald's sweet tea. I can't wrap that in something bitter, but we're good. We're heading in the right direction. We got something sweet. Anybody else? A donut, Okay. Beth's Cupcakes. That's a vote for Beth's Cupcakes. (laughs) Free free commercial for Beth's Cupcakes. That's good. Anybody else? Caramel. That's a good sweet thing. I'm going to use that. Caramel. Okay, now the bitterest thing you've ever tasted. Somebody give me the bitterest thing you've ever tasted. Go ahead. Okay. That sounded like it was fighting words. I mean, (laughs) coffee's delicious and back up because in this crowd, I think you're outnumbered. So, that's not going to be our. That's not going to be our example. Bengals losing. I can't eat that. Though I know for some of you that was traumatic. Yes. Uh, okay. Capers. Ugh, yes. Lemon rind. Okay, that is bitter. Okay. That's it right there. Black licorice. Yuck. Yes. Who in, I need to know who I need to watch my back around. Who in here likes black licorice? And be honest. Ooh, oh, yeah. No. I'm, I'm, I'm still going to love you, but I'm going to be careful around you. That's all I'm saying. All right. So, yeah. So caramel, all right, wrapped in black licorice. That's the gospel. Just pretend everyone doesn't like black licorice like they should. not. Nah. That's, <laughs> oh man, that's funny. You know, time is it? I'm just going to tell you. My, my granddad, uh, right before he died, the last conversation I had with him, and we knew, we knew it was the last conversation. This man ends it with, now Vincent, make sure you get some of that black licorice that I like, and you make everybody at my funeral try it. I'm talking like Diane Wish. He puts me in that position. And so I did, man. I got on Amazon, and this man didn't just like black licorice. He liked this, like, Dutch salted black licorice. What, bro? And so I did it, man. I got on Amazon and bought enough black licorice for everyone there. And then got up there. I did, it was another pastor involved, but I preached part of his funeral and I said, well, guys, here's here's the deal. Uh, Grandpa said he wants y'all to try black licorice, so I got some on that back table, and the door's locked. So everybody, get back there and get you one. And um, I'm sorry. This. So so, what did we learn? If 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 you want to hassle your loved ones at your funeral, I guess I'm your guy. So just write down what you want, and I'll do it, obviously, because. Whatever, it's your last wish. If you want to mess with, if you want to mess with your people, man, from, from the other side, I guess. Put me in a rough spot, though. Anyways, okay, that was... What is the po- let's Let's get to the point. The point I'm making is no one gets to taste the sweet unless you bite through the bitter. And so re- wrestle with that, friends. Because if you've kind of had some like, siloed, not full look at the gospel, and you somehow thought this thing was only sweet you you, you got to go back and think about it more. You got to go back and really wrestle with what the scriptures are presenting here because nobody nobody gets out of being, being confounded and being confronted by the gospel in some way. All right? Uh, and, and it may even be multiple times along our journey. It, may, it might not just be at the initial point, right? I told you we're going to struggle with legalism. We're going to struggle with this battle between legalism and and hyper grace in our own hearts, not just as the church and trying to teach the world what this all looks like. It's a battle in us too. We need to acknowledge that and know that that the gospel is our compass, man, that keeps us headed true north, um, headed towards the hope that comes from Christ alone. So, uh, okay. So that's why all of that was to answer the question. If we're going to share and preach the gospel in this world, we're going to face resistance for it. That is going to happen. If we're, do, if we're really preaching it, because it is offensive, it is a stumbling block, okay? Um, now, let's be real here, I would have liked a better word than that, but in our current context, it isn't, it isn't anything like what the followers of Jesus faced in the days that the Bible was written, but it is for brothers and sisters around the world right now. So in our context, we're not looking at some of the resistance and persecution that, that others faced in that time, but there are brothers and sisters around the world that that's what they're looking at right now. So we should pray for them, keep that in mind, uh, and also keep in mind that whatever resistance we encounter for preaching the gospel, right? whatever resistance we encounter because of the exclusivity of the gospel, because we have the audacity to say it's the only way to God, and whatever resistance we encounter because of the inclusivity of the gospel, that no matter how good you think you are, you need it, and you need Jesus We should rejoice in any of that resistance because it means we are sharing in the suffering of Christ. Let me read you this from 1 Peter 4. It says, But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that at the revelation of his glory you may also rejoice and be overjoyed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. Amen. That brings us to verse 13. For those who are circumcised do not even keep the law themselves. But they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in the flesh. And so Paul's calling out here, The common hypocrisy that is unavoidable if someone holds to a real legalist framework. And these false teachers who had come in, they had the same problem that uh, all false teachers have. Instead of loving people and using things, they loved things and were using people. These guys wanted to be important. They wanted prestige and power, and, and normally with that comes money. Now, you can reverse that, of course. You can, you can start with money and buy prestige and power as well, but they always tend to be tied together in kind of this incestuous relationship. So what, what, what am I saying? They were trying to use these Galatians, you know, get notches on their belt to go back to wherever it was that would be celebrated to, to look better, to look like they were getting something done, to look like they were helping to maintain the, the power structure that depended on people being in adherence to the law, and underneath the, the authority of those that were teaching it that way. And so, um, man, that's, that's gross. It's gross to be motivated in, in supposedly teaching people about how to be, be free, <laughs> how to come to God and how to be near to God. You're, you're supposedly doing that, but you're manipulating, and your motive is really about power or, or accomplishing something for yourself by, by being able to point to them and say, look, look at those converts we got. Oh, we got a bunch more. Man, Lord does not like that. And so what does that mean? Well, I, I would encourage us friends to, to be discerning. We need to be discerning about those who are constantly touting their numbers uh, you won't find anybody today boasting in how many foreskins were removed by their ministry, but they sure will tell you how many people came to a gathering or how many salvations they had. And here's, you know, so, you know the gospel's offensive and, and this is all to go- I'm going to offend some people here, but we're, I'm going to go ahead and ask this question. How do you know if someone is truly saved during a service? Because they raise their hand? That's pretty dicey. I suppose if you had a thorough conversation with each of them to find out if they had truly been confronted by the gospel and God had opened their heart to the need for grace, you could maybe start to get an idea. But I know in all of my years as a Christian, I've never seen that be the way those numbers get calculated. And if you didn't like that, you really won't like this. Uh, there's also a parable of four soils that makes me think there's probably some wisdom to walking with people a while and seeing some fruit of genuine conversion, not just counting raised hands, particularly when the bitter parts of the cross are often not really presented. Now, I know some of you think I'm being too harsh or maybe even unbiblical because some of you know your Bible and you're saying, well, hold on, man. In Acts 2, it said 3,000 souls added that day. So what's wrong with what you're talking about? And that, if you thought that, that's a great point, And I'm glad you know your Bible that well. And I'm serious about it. But can, can I point out a couple things to you about that? <clears throat> First of all, I would encourage you to read Peter's sermon that starts in verse 14 of Acts 2 that led to those conversions. Because Peter's sermon is straight fire and it is explicit about the bitter parts of the gospel. Okay? Check that out. Uh, two... I want to read you the verse before and after that. Listen to this. Think think with me. Starting in Acts 2.40, And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on urging them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who had received his word were baptized, and that day were added about 3,000 souls. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. There's a couple things I want you to consider. First of all, these people were willing to be publicly baptized in a cultural context that meant they were going to be scorned and probably persecuted for doing so. That's some fruit right off the bat of something genuinely happened in their heart, okay? And the second thing I want you to think about is that Luke is recording what happened here way after the fact. And when, right after he says 3,000 souls were saved that day, what does he do? He offers evidence, real real fruit, that these people genuinely received Christ. What's he say? They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They were willing to be baptized publicly, and they knew that was going to cost them. And then you see them starting to walk out some of the basic things that it means to follow Jesus. I don't know. I still don't like it. I mean, that's fine. I know. (laughs) Hey, I'm I'm not drawing a circle on a hill that I'm trying to die on here. I just want us to think. I just want us to be discerning. It's not wrong to genuinely rejoice in people being saved and baptized. That should be one of the greatest joys for any church. But I'm just telling you, we need to be discerning And and, and boasting for other motives because those things happen is not okay. That's what Paul's coming against here. And and we need to check our own hearts when God uses us individually or as a church to share the gospel with folks. We we should soberly ask ourselves, are, are are we just genuinely overjoyed when people meet Jesus or are we getting pulled into boasting in ourselves instead of glorifying him? Because we're not immune to that. You can start to feel uh, like you deserve some glory <laughs> for your part. Um, I like to think of myself in, in, uh, as a wrench in the hand of God. That he's, he's the master mechanic and I'm a wrench, right? If, if, if I go to a mechanic and they fix some difficult problem on my vehicle... I don't walk into their toolbox and pick up the socket wrench and say, dude, socket wrench, you are awesome. You're amazing. Thank you for your work. <laughs> that would be insane. I thank the mechanic for his skill and ability to wield the tool, okay? Pastor Vince, are you calling us tools? Yes, you got it. You figured it out. But I'm calling myself one too, so we're all in the same toolbox. Amen. Whole toolbox of tools, <laughs> Ah, uh, this is fun. Okay. Um, and, and, and having that discernment is important because verse 14 says, we have no reason to boast, friends. We, 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 or we have one reason, to, not no reason, we have one reason to boast, and it isn't in ourselves, right? Verse 14. But may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So you might be thinking, okay, so I don't, maybe you're not running around probably, hopefully, like just being super overtly boastful. So you might be thinking, well, am am I boasting? Is this a problem? How do I know if I'm boasting in other things? Uh, let Let me just say to you, this is, when we hear the word boast, we think about the very kind of stereotypically braggadocious person running around uh, trying to convince everyone how awesome they are, right? And it's kind of, it'd be kind of easy to see, but this is, it's far sneakier than that and, and, and broader than that. Unfortunately, none of us are getting out of this. Part of what's inherent in this idea is that we all are boasting in something by this definition. All of us do. Well, what do you mean? Well, if, how do we figure this out? Is this a problem? The first thing I would say is, how do you, how do you talk to, to others about yourself? What, you might say, well, I'm, I'm pretty humble. Well, what do you want them to know first about you when they meet you? What do you tend to emphasize about who you are? How do you explain who you are? What comes to the top first? What stays at the top and is mentioned often? Is the fact that you are a child of God and, and the top of that? as you describe who you are? Or is it, is it more likely that you're reaching for other kind of relational markers? Like I'm, I'm a husband or I'm a son or I'm a daughter or I'm a brother or I'm this, or this is my occupation. This is who I am. This is who I want you to know. This is what I want you to know about me because you know us humans, we, we meet each other, we get to know each other, and we're, we're looking for these cues to try to figure out where, where we fit in on the social hierarchy. I don't do that. Yeah, absolutely, you do. You do whether you know you do or not, for sure. Uh, but the gospel can free us from that nastiness because it, it's exclusive and it's inclusive. It, it levels the playing field about things that really matter, eternal things. And it can de-emphasize some of the stuff that we end up making the, the determining factors for whether we think someone is successful or whether we think we're successful and how we try to project that into conversations and relationships. So how do you talk to yourself uh, or how do you talk about yourself to others? One way to know what you're boasting in. Uh, If you're sharing accomplishments or victories, do you look for opportunities to give God glory in those? I'm not saying it's bad to talk about good things in your life or ways that God has used you. It's not. But be discerning. Check yourself. Where is the glory for that going in your heart, first of all, which is what matters most? And then are you looking for opportunities to point people to the goodness, mercy, and power of God To get the credit for the good things going on in your life. I hope so. If not, there there may be an issue there with you wanting that glory to some degree. Uh, Almost a a reverse way to look at this is, is to ask yourself, how do you, when you feel the need for it, how do you defend yourself? How do you defend yourself against accusation from yourself other people or even the enemy that's the accuser of the brethren, right? Someone comes and starts to attack your character. What does your mind jump to first to say, well, no, that's not true. I'm not, I'm not a bad person because I am this way or I do this thing or I don't, or I don't do these things that other people do. There, there is a way to start to, to sniff out some of what rests as boasts in your heart. How do you defend yourself? The gospel allows us this beautiful freedom to not feel the need to defend ourselves. It's the only thing that can. I don't, I don't need to jump to defense that I have value or worth or that, that, uh, you know, that I'm worth something by trying to give you all of the things I don't do or do do. I can point to the fact that the, very, the, the, the king of glory, the creator of all things, let his blood be shed to purchase me. My value has been determined. The discussion is over because the king of glory already said, what's up? Amen. If our sense of identity, value, and worth is wrapped up in our works, then we are prisoners to good performance and we are left devastated when we don't live up to even our own standards. Either that, we're either devastated when we don't even live up to our own standards, much less the perfect holiness of God, we're either devastated or the only other option, if we're gonna live by that, is to deceive ourselves into thinking we actually are living up to our own standards. Ooh, did you get, did you, did that hit you? Ooh, that's rough, but it's true. You got two options. If you're going to live by your own boasts, man, if you're going to live by your own works, it's going to go one of two ways. You're going to end up in devastation because you don't hit the mark, or you're going to lie to yourself that you did. Both are gross. (laughs) Both are jail, prison, slavery. The gospel's the only way out. Ooh, that half of amen from the back was not enough for that point. Everybody here? That's good gospel news right there. Amen. Okay, don't provoke me, y'all. I know it's long, but I can, you know I can keep going. This is easy. Amen. <clears throat> the gospel is the only way out of this slavery cycle. The gospel tells us we aren't loved because we're good. It frees us to be good because we're loved. And that changes everything. The gospel frees us from the weight of trying to prove to the world and to ourselves that we have value and worth because we see those things declared in the truth that King Jesus would live and die and rise so that we can spend eternity with him. How much does it touch your heart that God wants to be with you for eternity? How often do you let that really come in and the sweetness of that? Savor that, man. God, that's a beautiful truth. I'm so thankful. I still can barely believe it because I know me. (laughs) And he wants to be with me forever? Why? What kind of love? What kind of God? It's incredible. Thank you, Jesus. Through the cross, we will be rejected by the world's standard of success. And through the cross, we will reject its standard for success. It's part of what Paul's talking about. Crucified to the world, it's crucified to me. It's kind of like if I'm looking at this, that's, that's not that important. And this is another element of the freedom we find through the gospel. Freedom from the rat race, driven and compelled by things that in the end don't even matter. There's, the gospel brings true freedom, man. Free indeed. Uh, <clears throat> verse 15 and 16. For neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And those who will walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. The Israel of God... Uh, and we saw this earlier, Galatians 3 and elsewhere, Uh, there's this idea that that the church now is the seed of Abraham, those who have come to God through faith in Christ. And so this is, it's another way to to talk about this this New Testament idea of the church, the Israel of God. So when we started today, I called this book a ferocious defense of the true gospel and the freedom that it provides. And, And I believe that is an accurate and appropriate description of the book of Galatians. It is probably in a lot of ways, it is the most blunt of the New Testament epistles. And maybe that's why I like it so much. Uh, But it's also what we see here in these, in this last word, last couple sentences of the letter, is we see tender encouragement for those who were being tempted to trust in themselves instead of Jesus. Paul came and brought the hammer down man for six chapters. And rightly so, because this is dangerous and it's real and it needs to be dealt with. But We also see here um, this tenderness at the end as he wraps this book up. Um, He says, those who will walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them. What rule? That rule is, it's it's the good news that Jesus didn't come and offer a way to be a better version of yourself. He came to make you a new creation. That's what he's talking about here. Circumcision and uncircumcision doesn't mean anything. A new creation, that's, that's what we're looking at. That's what we're rejoicing in, Okay. Um, That word rule, it's not like rule in a rule book. It's rule like a straight line that you would walk by. That's what that Greek word means, and it makes more sense when you understand that. Uh, When we walk by this rule, we have peace with God. We can have peace with others, and we can even have peace with ourselves. And man, that's precious. When we walk by this rule, the mercy of God is poured out upon us. It's, It's the kind of mercy that would lead every jaw in a courtroom dropped if the judge sentenced himself to take the punishment for my crimes, for your crimes. Just imagine being in a courtroom where the judge says, you know what, I love this defendant. Life in prison, but I'm I'm sentencing myself, not them. I'm gonna take the punishment. So justice has to happen here. Somebody's gotta pay, but I'm gonna take it. If you were in that courtroom, where would your jaw be? Hopefully sitting in your lap where it belongs. And that's where our jaw should be sitting in our lap forever and ever as we contemplate the beauty of what the gospel' is really teaching. It's incredible. Verse 17: "From now on, let no one cause trouble for me, for I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. What does he mean by this? I promise we're almost done." Second Corinthians, he gives more detail what he means. He's talking about what he's been through to preach the gospel. Beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've spent adrift at sea. I've been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers among false brothers. I've been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, apart from such external things, there's the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? If I have to boast, I will boast of what pertains to my weakness. That's what he says. He says, I bear on my, mark, on my body the marks of Jesus. And so what he's saying in verse 17, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase it for you. This is my paraphrase. He's basically saying, look, my friends, your willingness to entertain these false teachings and to stray from the pure gospel, your willingness to do that, it's hurting me. It's hurting me, the one who sacrificed greatly to bring it to you. And I'm still paying the price to bring it to others. So can you guys just knock it off already? <laughs> right? That's basically what he's saying in verse 17. Guys, think about what I've been through. What I I went through to come to you and for you to then just run the opposite direction of what I taught you here, to to willingly put back on the chains that it cost me so much to come and break off of you with the truth of God's word. Stop. Just stop, guys. That's really the, the heart of that. Verse 18, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brethren. Amen. So Paul, he ends this letter with a benediction of grace. Grace, the very thing that he has exhorted them through the entire letter to cling to as if it's absolutely necessary and as, as if everything depends on it because it does. And even in this state of confusion and wavering in their faith, did you notice that he calls them brethren? As if in one more way, he's pointing them to the incredible power of the grace of God to save us and keep us. Because friends, as we've seen plainly throughout this whole book, we could never save or keep ourselves. Amen. Will you pray with me? Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. God, thank you for the book of Galatians. Thank you for its message of gospel purity, that it leaves us no room for thinking that we can sprinkle in our own works or other means of, of being justified before you, that it is on, it's always and only ever going to be grace through faith in Christ. Thank you for the clarity of that message. Thank you even for the boldness with which it comes. Lord, help us to remember this as we continue on from here. Help us not to be pulled into the twin thieves of, of legalism or, or, or a hyper-grace idea somebody trying to get us to think that we're gonna be saved by works or that, or that sin doesn't matter at all, but let us stay close, Lord, to your gospel, to walk that narrow middle way, that door that you alone have opened for us. That lets us know our sin is an absolute big deal. that needs to be dealt with, and there's one way for it to be dealt with. It's through grace. Thank you, God, that you've freed us from slavery in so many ways that you've given us spiritual freedom. Help us to walk in that, not to take up again the yoke of bondage willingly, but help us, God, to be convinced of the truth of your word and so soaked in the beautiful truth of your gospel that we're not able to be led off and, and distracted and pulled to the right and to the left. We need your help for this, Lord. The temptations are many. The deceptions are many. We thank you that you've promised to provide us that help through your Holy Spirit. We need you, and we love you, and we thank you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.com dot org